I'm Margaret Feinberg, and this is the Joycast. Hi again, friends. Welcome to this latest edition of the Joycast, the hap, hap, happiest half hour of your week. Once again, I'm your host, Margaret Feinberg, who believes everything is better with guacamole and author of Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers, both a book and a six-session DVD Bible study. Ever since I was a little girl, I've had a conflicted relationship with food. As I've shared in other podcast episodes, I was put on my first diet at the age of nine. So from a young age, food was given labels. A vegetable might be labeled good, but a cookie was labeled bad or bad for you or not the wise choice or something to be careful about. When I sat down at the table, I felt conflicted between the bad and the good food. But it wasn't just these overly simplistic and now I realize untrue labels of food that I felt conflicted about. It was also the way I restricted myself whenever I sat down to eat. Now, I love food. I love to eat. In fact, I am already thinking about what I'm going to eat tomorrow for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And if you, if you are thinking about those things, oh, we should totally be friends. But by the time I reached college, eating disorders had become part of my life. These wild swings between overeating, starving myself, and exercise addiction had kicked in. And while I healed from many of these throughout the years, I still feel this tension when I sit down to eat. What's the right quantity? Can I overindulge if it's a special occasion? How much is too much? My hunch is that you, Joycast listeners, may feel some of the same tension, a little bit conflicted when you sit down at the table too. And in modern America, now I get conflicted when I go to the grocery store. I mean, which product should I buy? Which is organic? Which is natural? Which has less sugar? Or maybe it's just too expensive. Which one is affordable? Which is over-processed but tastes so good? Yes, I'm talking about you, Doritos. You, yes, you amazing cheesy chips. Yet recently, in the midst of these struggles and these tensions that I know I face, and some of you do too, I stumbled on a book that spoke to my struggles, and it also challenged me to think more deeply, more intentionally about these issues than I had ever before. It's called Eat with Joy, Redeeming God's Gift of Food. And so that is why I am so excited that the author, Rachel Marie Stone, is on the Joycast today because she's someone who gets it. She recognizes that when it comes to the table, food can be a source of endless angst and anxiety, whether it's obesity, eating disorders, horror stories of where our food comes from, whether it's justly produced and more, she challenges us and equips us to practice intentionality around the table. Because when we're more intentional, we're less conflicted and we experience more joy. This is one of my favorite episodes of season one because it's so practical. One of my favorite comments and moments is when she gives us these three words that we must all eliminate from our collective vocabulary. And friends, if we agree to do this together, the world will be a better place, not just for us, but our children and grandchildren. 
So you're about to learn tips and tricks to experience more joyful eating around any table. Pull up a seat at our table and let's dive in. Rachel, it is so good to have you on the Joycast. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my goodness. You have to know how much you and your writing have meant to me. You know, when I was researching for Taste and See, yours was one of the first books I read and I just loved it. it and it wasn't just because it was beautifully written and it was a, it was pushed me in my thinking, but it, but it really caused me to really grapple more deeply about food and eating and the table. And if there was one word that I had to describe the richness of your work, it's the word intentionality. Mm-hmm. And your book, um, for me, and I think for many who, if you haven't read it, you need to eat with joy. It's like this insertion of a holy comma in our lives uh, mm. to become more intentional around the table and really even before we get to the table. And I think for a lot of us, and I know for a lot of my listeners, uh, many of us, we have complicated relationships with food. Yes. Uh, for some of us, we were put on diets early. Maybe we struggled with eating disorders. We maybe grew up in households where food was given a label of good or bad or dirty or we don't eat that or off limits or prohibited. Mm -hmm. And so I would love for you, just with our listeners, if you're willing, and and just first of all, we always talk about this on the Joycast. We only want you to share what you feel comfortable sharing, but to share a little bit about maybe your complicated relationship with food and how you discovered joyful eating. Sure. So, I mean, in a lot of ways, my story is very unremarkable. Um, but in another sense, like maybe that's what makes it remarkable, which is the idea, um, as you alluded to, that so many people, um, particularly women, but not exclusively women by any means, so many people have um, a lot of baggage around food. And um, so my own story is is pretty simple. My mom and her friends were always on diets and they would talk about how they used to be skinny like me, but, you know, then mm. whatever happened and I just, you know, I could eat that now, but just you wait, mm. you'll see what happens. And so I think, you know, that did a few things. One of them is it instilled a kind of fear about growing up and, you know, the necessary um, growth that that entails, um, physically speaking. And then it also kind of made me apprehensive about food. Like it seemed as if people talked and acted like the ideal would be to to subsist on like Diet Coke um, and water, you know? And so, um, and so I, you know, I had a kind of fearful and fraught uh, relationship with food from from pretty early on, and it took um, you know it took a more severe turn when I was about fifteen, and um, and I would you know I would I would do all the things that um, that you've heard do fasting, then binging, and 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 a whole lot of that. And um, as I said, pretty unremarkable. And the way that I discovered joyful eating. Um, it was actually, so I, um, got married really young, got pregnant really young. Um, 
And I was having a very difficult pregnancy with lots and lots of nausea, had a hard time keeping anything down, kind of like Princess Kate, I always say. Um, (laughs) um, And then, so I wasn't gaining weight and, um, and I was really afraid to gain weight if I'm telling the truth. And what I realized, um, through the help of my husband, who's very kind and very patient, um, he said, you know, if you don't, if you don't choose to eat, like you're not, you're not feeding the baby. And, um, it was then that I realized that, you know, the idea that what I ate was just a personal decision was kind of a myth and that, um, you know, whether it's, whether it was my baby who was like literally physically connected to me or my husband who, you know, shared a home with me or just the people around me that, you know, how I ate, how I took care of myself had implications for how I, um, minister and love others too. And so I, um, I also had a realization that in the same way that it horrified me to think of withholding food from my baby, um, maybe God was looking at me the same way and that, I should feed myself um, lovingly because that's mm. that's what God would do for me. Mm. I love that phrase, uh, feeding yourself lovingly. Yes. You know, you talk about a lot in your book, this idea of redeeming God's gift of food. What are some of the areas or specific ways that we need to think about redeeming food? I know I mentioned the labels, mm. yeah. um, the eating disorders, that constriction. Talk to me, what does that look like in a practical way to redeem? food? Well, I mean, I think there are a lot of aspects to the the work of redemption and that, you know, they're probably always kind of uh, evolving. New ones are emerging, new ways in which we need to redeem um, the experience of eating. And um, But so I think actually the labeling thing is a huge one for me. Um, and, you know, one tip I would give <laughs> practically is just just leave aside the labels, um, the labels about food choices and, you know, absolutely determine, uh, to put a stop to negative body image talk and mm-hmm. even negative body image self-talk and leave aside those, those judgments about, you know, this is good. This is bad. I feel guilty and focus, you know, replace the guilt with with gratitude, I think. And, and really uh, gratitude, which I think leads us to awareness, right? Mm. We're grateful for what exists. We try to be more mindful and engaged with what exists. We, we become fully aware of the food in front of us. And I think once we open up that door to awareness, that's when we can begin to see, you know, this snack is really overpackaged. I wonder what kind of impact that has when I throw it away. Mm. Or you can begin to notice, you know, as I am being grateful for this and tasting it fully, I don't feel so good after I eat it. I wonder if this is the best choice for me. Or we might notice this is really sweet and really brightly colored. I wonder I wonder what went into making that. And so I think just by refusing to label our choices, good or bad, and becoming attached to that, by simply becoming grateful and aware, we can, it, that process can lead us into um, a more joyful and authentic relationship. One of the things I know we've got a lot of parents who are listening or grandparents and they're, you know, those 
words that were spoken over us regarding food, it's really tempting to then speak them over our own children. What are some specific phrases that you would say, you know what, try not speaking these words when you're engaging with your children about food? Oh, that's such a good question. I think um, so many of us were taught to, quote, clean our plate. Um, And I don't think, I think that's a, that's one that's not really helpful. Because what does it do? It it shifts the focus from an, an internal cue, my belly feels full, to an external cue. The plate is empty or not empty. And what does that teach us to do? It teaches us that we're done eating cookies, not when we've had enough, but when the bag is empty, right? And, and that we all can know intuitively that that's not... Um, a great approach. And so I, I think we um, we need to honor and respect um, the kind of innate wisdom that children have. Now, I'm, I hasten to add that, obviously, if there's bowls of M&Ms um, and, and bowls of broccoli, the kids are going to eat the bowls of M&Ms. <laughs> but, me too, me too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> but... If there's bowls of carrots and bowls of, I don't know, tofu cubes or chicken or <laughs> and bowls of carrots, it's reasonable to let the kids choose to fill up on one of those things, one of those healthy choices, and maybe leave the others for another time. Mm. Like the best pieces of wisdom I've had um, involve, you know, that the parent gets to decide what and when uh, food is going to be on the table. So they get, get, they get to decide what food is going on the table and when it is going to be offered. But the children's job is to decide whether and how much, mm. um, and that we, you know, by, by maintaining those kind of healthy boundaries, we can foster children's sort of confidence and, and independence, um, around food. And to sense our love. Yeah. Yeah. And I think for, for listeners, just to highlight that again, those are three words that we can all agree to eliminate from our collective <laughs> vocabularies that is going to allow people and our kids and our families to be more intentional and more joyful around the table. Okay, so we are going to stop saying clean, clean your, your plate. plate. <laughs> That's God. Thank you. Thank you for the yeah. throwdown. That is going to help all of us experience more joy. Now, one of the things I love about you, which is you're so practical and in this book, you just keep offering thing after thing. What advice or practical tips do you have for the person who I know is listening? And sometimes, you know, I start struggle with this, but with poor body image, whenever they sit down to eat, what advice do you have? It's, it's so hard. I remember some terrible advice. I'll tell the terrible advice first. Some terrible advice um, that I got once was that you should always, you should never eat with elastic waist pants on because if you eat with elastic waist pants on, there'll be no, (laughs) there'll be nothing to restrain you from like eating a lot, a lot because it'll just you should so sit you should, in a corset. Yeah, just so you be should bound up in duct tape. you corset like Scarlett O'Hara <laughs> and eat a mouthful. And then, yeah, it's terrible advice. So, I mean, I think this is what I repeat to myself on bad days. You are loved. You're enough. You deserve to be fed lovingly. You deserve to be fed lovingly. That's what I would say. Right. Because, Mm. because here's a myth, right? Sometimes a person with terrible body image is really thin. Sometimes Mm. the person with terrible body image is 
really overweight. And both of those people feel a lot of shame and judgment when it's time to eat. Mm-hmm. And many people who are on the spectrum in between, right? And we judge one another, don't we? That's one thing that we we know is true. We look at the person who maybe looks like this or that, and we look at what they're eating or not eating, and we make judgments about it. And I would caution all of us to remember, I caution myself, we don't know the whole story, right? But that person is loved and that person is valuable and that person deserves to be fed lovingly. In your book, you also describe, and I just want to suggest this because they're so powerful for listeners and for myself, you know, make your house and especially your table a fat talk free zone. Mm, In other words, we're just, we're not going to engage in that negative rumination spiraling conversation that honestly is not helping anyone. Yeah, that's it. We're just not going to do it. And, and it, it, it seems like one of those things, if, if it's a part of your, ordinary life. Well, that's just something that we talk about. Well, that's just what women talk about. And it's, I feel like, no, it, it isn't actually a natural thing that we have to talk about. It's, it's a cultural thing that we are, have conditioned ourselves into believing must be talked about, but you know what? It's, it's okay to accept ourselves as we are. It really is. Um, yeah. and it is, it is okay. And it's beyond, it's, it's better than okay to end the fat talk and the, and mm. the body derogation talk. Mm. You know, I think I have some friends who I'm going to make that like covenant commitment with them and say, hey, I want in my relationship with you, we're just we're just going to make this a fat talk free zone when we're together because nothing good is coming of it. It's so yeah. easy to downward spiral. It's so easy to find everything that's wrong or we perceive to be wrong with our bodies when mm. God has given us literally this miracle encasing in yes. all directions, the bones, the fibers, the skin, and it is such a gift. Yes, that's why I I mean I I for those who can engage in something physical, it's such a it's such a gift um to to hike, to climb, to ride mm-hmm. bikes, to to do things with our bodies um to be reminded that they are so much more than, you know, objects to be looked at. And and I think that's really that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? That when we talk about all the ways in which our bodies are less than quote unquote ideal where we're really giving into this idea that we are what we look like or that we or that we are what we can do instead of, you know, we are amazing creations. So you not only, again, this intentionality that brings so much joy around the table, it's not just in what we eat, it's not just in maybe the words that we use, the conversations that we have, but there's also this intentionality about even before the food comes to the table. And this idea of intentionality means thinking about the sustainability of our food. Um, mm-hmm. Talk to us about that. What does that mean? I mean, I think it's a big word, but what does that mean for for me as I'm, I'm shopping? How do I think more long-term intentionally about sustainability? Sure. It's a great question. So um, interestingly enough, for most of us, the most carbon intensive thing that we do is eat. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, most of the fossil fuels that are burned, I believe, are burned uh, in order to produce our food. And at the same time, at the same time, um, there's so much waste in our system. So I think it's been estimated that about half the food that is grown for consumption is never eaten, but is thrown away. 
in the mm. United States, which is which is a huge, a uh, huge boggling number, right? As much food as is eaten is thrown away, mm-hmm. and so that's why for me, like one super practical sustainability tip mm. that's not doesn't don't have to go to Whole Foods, you don't have to go to the farmers market, <laughs> you don't have to buy anything special. You just waste less, mm. just reduce waste. Um, there are obviously lots of ways to do this, but for me, I try to begin it at the grocery store by not buying more of something than I know I can use in the time before it spoils. Even if gasp, I have to pay more per pound because, you know, like the bigger package is cheaper <laughs> per ounce if you're a penny pincher like me, right? So, but I'll I'll pay more per ounce if I know that those aren't going to go to waste. So that's one very simple thing that everybody can do. Like everybody can waste less. That's one thing. The Another thing is just to start very small where you are. So every community, hmm, I should hesitate before I say every, but virtually every community has something relatively local. And even if you can't base your whole diet around stuff that's grown 100 miles from you, and even if you can't afford to buy the organic and free-range eggs that happen to be in your neighborhood or near your neighborhood, everybody can have something from their local food shed. And I think it's great to start there so that you can experience it, what it's like to taste something that's very fresh and local and you can support the local community and this is this contributes to sustainability because one of the major ways that food leads to the consumption of fossil fuels is that it's so often shipped really long distance distances mm. around the world and across the country so buying something local is not only delicious and not only helps the local economy but it is good for the environment as well and then the last thing, um, real practical, again, everybody can do it. Uh, sustainability, it, one of the best things you can do to increase the sustainability of your diet is to cook something from scratch. So mm. if if you now only buy, you know, muffins that are packaged in that plastic like clamshell type of a container, maybe learn to make muffins at home. Um, because you'll be reducing, you're reducing a lot of things, the, the shipping fuel, the fuel that it took to ship it to the store, the, uh, energy required to produce the plastic you'll, and you'll, it also gives you a, a tangible, practical sensory connection to your food. And I think that that helps lead us into greater gratitude as well. And just greater awareness. I think nothing has helped me uh, so much in terms of learning to curb my impulse to maybe binge or overeat is when I make something myself, mm-hmm. I know all the work that goes into it. And it doesn't seem like something that I just want to gobble down mindlessly. It seems like mm-hmm. something that I want to slow down and experience. And so mm-hmm. I think all of those things can help us become much more mindful and also more joyful. Like it's more fun to be aware of what you're eating. 
Yes. I love all of those. For some of you listeners, I recently watched a um, documentary called Wasted, which I highly recommend that looks at food waste and what we can individually do to curb that. I know mm. Rachel and I share a friend, uh, Norman Wiersba, who also mm, has yeah. an episode on this first season of the Joycast and who talks a lot about just our intentionality of food, where it comes from, thinking more deeply about that. And then we also have another guest this season, Coco Morante, and she is the author of the uh, Instapot, the essential Instapot cookbook. Oh, yeah. And again, it's that idea that making things from scratch doesn't have to be super time consuming. It can be something no. that we do that is magical. Absolutely. And so, yeah. And so one of the questions that I have, and we, we conclude all of our Joycast podcasts with this, is just asking you, what is your favorite dish or recipe that you'd love to share with our listeners? Yes. So I love, love, love cauliflower cheese soup from the Moosewood Cookbook by Molly Katzen. Ooh. It's a 70s classic. I love that cookbook because um, like Molly Katzen wrote the whole thing in her own, own handwriting and like drew the pictures <laughs> and everything. It's adorable. And um, the Moosewood restaurant was a or is a vegetarian restaurant. So all the recipes in there are vegetarian. And I love cauliflower cheese soup because it is extremely easy to make, super nutritious, and also super warm and comforting. So I love it for this season of the year when it starts to be cold and you can just put it, you can make it and then put it in like a crock pot and just have it with bread and it's the best. Um, yes. And it's beautiful sounds- orange color too. Ooh, that sounds gorgeous, delicious. And I know our listeners are going to find it super tasty too. And so we have that full recipe from Rachel. And all you have to do is just log on to margaretfeinberg.com forward slash joycast, where you're not just going to get that recipe and all the show notes, but you're going to find some amazing ways to connect with Rachel through her writing, speaking, and more. Rachel, thank you so much for being on the joycast. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Thanks for listening to this edition of The Joycast. If you've enjoyed today's conversation and you'd like to dive deeper into the unexpected joys awaiting you around your table, check out my new book and Bible study, Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. These resources will help you savor your life, nourish your friendships, and embark on your greatest faith adventure. You can purchase them at your favorite retailer or margaretfeinbergstore.com. If you do, reach out to me on social media or my website and let me know what you think. Until we meet again, bon appetit and amen.